everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm the host, Sean Boyce. I'd like to welcome my guest to the show today, Linda Wittick from Top Line Focus. Hello, Linda. How are you? And thanks for being here. Great, Sean. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, super excited to dive into your expertise and the information that we want to cover in today's episode. But before we do that, if it's okay with you, can you share with us a little bit more information about your background and how you came to be doing the work that you're doing now? Absolutely. Um, As for me, I spent 35 years in the fintech industry. That's technology for financial services. I've been in a variety of different roles from sales leader, product management, client onboarding, strategy. Okay, probably all defined in that. So the one thing that they all have in common, okay, is it's all about revenue. How do we bring revenue in the door? Um, Always been on the B2B side, meaning that these are technology solutions that are sold into financial services, such as into banks, wealth managers, RIAs, credit unions, et cetera, um, either for a tool for them to use themselves or for one that they'll white label for their end clients. Uh, I've had the opportunity over these 35 years, I can't believe it's been that long, of working at very large organizations like IBM, where it's responsible for their Watson for Wealth Management, and Broadridge, which is a major financial um, back office platform and investor communications, as well as even the financial utilities. But besides working at these really large firms, I also had the privilege of working at some startups and smaller organizations that were only a couple of year old. And what I found is I have a really intuitive sense for how to help fintechs in their earlier stages, think like Series B, Series A, be able to thrive, to really grow their revenue faster, their top line faster. So about two and a half years ago, decided to go out on my own. I formed Top Line Focus because that's exactly what I do. I help CEOs focus on their top line um, and work exclusively with B2B fintech organizations really to figure out how can they grow faster. So more often than not, it's there's a belief that there's a challenge, okay? And that challenge is either sales or it's adoption. About half the time they're right, there is a challenge. Maybe it's the people, okay? Maybe it's the process. Maybe it's the collateral in sales and uh, usage. The other half of the time, it has nothing to do with their sales team that the CEO thinks is the problem. Very often it's the CEO, but um, no, very often it's a product market fit, okay, that it was a really great idea that satisfied a very small niche of the market, like maybe that own individual's firm, um, and they really didn't do market acceptance testing. So lots of times it's that. Just as often... It's also an awareness problem. So if your salesperson is going out there representing a brand that has no market awareness, okay, it's very hard to be able to get through those doors. Um, And last but not least, a good portion of the time, it's cultural. Okay, so um, is the organization, do they really want to thrive? Okay, do they really want to have VC investments and all the pressure of that? Or do they really want to be a lifestyle company? So I help work with them, figure out what their biggest challenges are, um, and uh, then help them implement those. Very cool. Yeah, super Not the exciting work. the solutions. <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. Plenty of challenges to go around, probably looking for more solutions than that, uh, which is kind of what I would like to know more about next. Sure. Where I was going to go was have you talk a little bit more detail about some of the problems and challenges that you experience, and in particular, and what phase that they're in. So if you yeah. could... Give me a little bit more detail in terms of like when you get engaged, uh, like phase wise for those companies and then what they're maybe any next level of detail in terms of the problems or the symptoms that they're experiencing and basically why they need you 
and where that goes. And then I'd love to talk a little bit more about how you help them fix those problems. Okay. Um, more than happy to do that. It, it follows the same general process. So I'll walk you through what that process is. The challenges tend to be unique to each of them. So um, when I engage with a client, typically I'll start with what I call a sales assessment, which is really an assessment around, of course, their sales and their sales process. Um, but it also does include marketing and product knowledge and also how the executive team works together and elements of the culture. I have a 62-point checklist, okay? And I evaluate them versus various best practices, okay, that fintechs of their size would have. Um, and as I go through that, and I give them their scorecard back, kind of where they are. Um, and, you know, it typically comes out with, here's like 80 things you could be doing differently. Okay, here are the five things that will move your needle. And that's one of the unique items that I am able to bring because of my experience of working at large organizations and at small organization and really understanding the financial services industry. I'm able to identify keen insight okay, on what are the areas that could be fixed the fastest and have the most impact to them. Um, I do a readout, usually like I'll go through an intake process where I'm interviewing people, I'll act as if I'm a, a buyer of your services, okay, see the demonstration, see how the salesperson's presenting it. Um, and then I meet with usually around 10 people inside of the organization for a one-on-one -on -one interview. Um, I then do my assessment that to in totality it takes about six weeks. Um, and then I give a fairly robust readout. Okay. And that re readout, you know, is both a PowerPoint as well as 20 ish page document that comes along with it, um, targeted to the CEO and or the C-suite uh, at the end of the readout. If I believe that this is an organization that really does want to thrive, okay, um, because not everybody does, and that's that's okay, right? It, it is absolutely okay, but it's just not the one where I can maximize my value. So if they're one that they want to thrive and I have bandwidth on the last page of that recommendation, here are five things you could do. I recommend that you bring me on board as a you know an interim part-time part of your C-suite, depending upon what the challenges are, um, to help you fix those. And usually I'll work with my clients for approximately six months. Um, at, so that's my phase two. Um, at the end of that six months, if the company is at a state of maturity where they can be quite successful, I'll come on for a longer, uh, longer engagement, but I'm just as equally happy to help them implement these five items that I'll call a little jumpstart their career. And, and while I'm doing that, coach their existing executives on how to embrace that and make it part of their overall process. The other question you asked me, okay, was um, what are the challenges? And oh my gosh, they tend to be different all over the board. Um, I would say that I do see a couple of things consistently happening. Um, a salesperson will demonstrate the product, okay, and not demonstrate sales professionalism. And by professionalism, I mean hey, these are the three things that we're going to go through today. At the end of these three things, okay, you should be able to be in a position to say we should move forward with a tech eval, you know, and kind of walk right. them through the process. Um, they also don't have a very clear step after the demonstration to contract signature, nor do they effectively communicate. And after you sign, this is what the client onboarding will be. So they have lots of great demos, lots of great feedback, 
no real next steps. And all they do is three weeks later say, hey, Sean, got time to chat? And it's like, got time to chat? Yeah, I really (laughs) like Linda, but like, what's the purpose of the chat? Okay. And then, so they have a really big pipeline of deals in the very early stage and very few of it going through the funnel. Gotcha. That continuously does tend to be one of the big challenges that we see. Um, I do often see, okay, organizations that have a really great product, but does not have a market or they're not going after the real buyer. So um, early first time entrepreneurs of fintech almost always believe that their, their solution is purchased by the head of technology. And the head of technology will be a buying influence, but they don't necessarily have the greatest skin of the game. You may be going out to the head of sales, right? If it's something that's a financial advisor facing and they're looking at how to grow revenue. So like really evaluating who your buyer is tends to be another big challenge. Nice. That's another good one. Um, I'm curious because I've talked a bit about this more recently and I've done a presentation on it as well too. For early stage firms, especially trying to figure out what their sales process should be, because I know you offer a lot of help in this area. I, I try tend to make a distinction between like repeatability versus scalability in a sales process. For the for the uh, clients that you are helping, what are you finding in terms of like where is their sales process when you get engaged? Do they have the ability to say, you know, for ten meetings, I get four demo requests, uh, two pilots, one closed deal, or are you helping them build something like that, or is your system different? So I would say that um, they do not follow the law of large numbers, okay, mm-hmm. because most of them are B two B. Okay, solutions as as opposed to B two C. They may only be targeting like in their market space. The entire space, the entire market size, may only be a thousand institutions. Okay, Okay. or may only be two or three hundred. Okay, I work with other organizations only two three hundred. So having the the law of small numbers, okay, averages just don't pan out. Okay. You could have 10, 10 um, prospect calls and demos. Okay. That result in nine. Okay. Happening in one month, uh, nine wins. And then you could have 30 that result in one. Okay. So that element of being able to effectively forecast your revenue Mm -hmm. is extremely lumpy until you're typically past series B and more towards series C. Okay. More often than not, they'll have three to five salespeople, sometimes as small as just having one salesperson. Or worse than that, they have one person who's not really a salesperson. They don't follow a process. Okay. Um, and instead, they're just a salesy person. So there's somebody who's really good at rapport building. Um, I would say that 50% of the time, the salesperson has a process. And by that, I mean, they know what they're doing. They know what the different stages of the buying cycle are. They know what they're doing in those stages. They know that over any given month, they have to be spending, whether it's 20%, depending on the product, or 70% of their time prospecting. Okay. They know that in order for a client to buy, um, we need to go through an eval process that maybe includes operations as well as technology, you know, as well as compliance, right? They'll know like their, their, the boxes that they need to check in order to get a win. Um, lots of times they don't though. Lots of times they, they're very eager for the sale, right? We'll go back to Glengarry and Ross, you know, always be closing, always be closing, um, that they ask for the close before the buyer is 
has enough of information to make the right decision for their organization. Mm-hmm. And that I would say is something that I see continuously with anybody that's pre-series B, but series A or early stage. Yeah. Nice. So it sounds like you're helping them kind of make this transformation. Do you find that the sales teams, like, what do you see in terms of the success that they've been able to achieve before you get involved? Are there patterns to it? Is the, how effective is their process? And is part of what you're doing with them, helping them make their process more effective? I would say that the majority of clients that I have worked with and other companies that I know that I, you know, have yeah. that haven't engaged with me, usually at this level, they don't have enough of history. Okay. okay. And what they have in their CRM, okay, is fairly garbage, is what I would say. Yeah. So if I'll ask them how long is your sales cycle, okay. Mm-hmm. They'll start the sales cycle at the first time that they heard of the firm and started to target them, you know, even before the client was engaged, certainly before there was any real buying indications. So they'll tell me, oh, two and a half years. And I'm like, what? This is a $30,000 buy. Okay. It shouldn't be two and a half years. If so, you're never going to make money. Um, So, how do we actually get this into what is the buying journey? So, really switching it from the sales cycle to how long does it take somebody to buy? Okay. And then how do we shorten it? But I would say most of the time they do not have the metrics. And what we end up doing over the first couple of months is saying, what is our baseline? Okay. Um, And really identifying, what our hypothesis should be in terms of how long people should be in the different stages of the sales process. Okay. Well said. Or if there is a problem, you know, if there yep. is a problem with the product, you know, or if the problem with the pricing. Okay. Very often we see yep. pricing challenges. You mentioned metrics. I'm curious to dive into that among other the topics that you mentioned as well, too. When you get engaged, what do you see these companies focused on and how do you help them shift that focus to an area where they really should be paying more attention? What they should okay. be measuring. So I apologize. I cannot remember the, the brand behind this, but yep. um, every entrepreneur, at least in the fintech space, has read whatever this brand book is, which they start with um, OKRs, Organizational Key Results. Okay. Yep. Um, and they decide to do quarterly OKRs. Okay. Which mm-hmm. I'm a fan of, don't get me wrong. Okay. But depending upon what stage you're at, Okay, you have to be thinking beyond a quarter. Okay, so when when it's only four of you working in, you know, one of you the CEO's bedroom or whatever it is, thinking quarterly makes absolute sense. And that's you know in this seed stage or pre-seed stage, a lot of it is really trial and error. Okay, so throwing mm-hmm. spaghetti against the wall and saying, "Hey, this is how I think it's going to work." Yeah, there's receptivity there. Now I can think one quarter out. How do I implement that? Um, Once you get to be an organization of 40 to 50 people and you have a pretty significant tech backlog and you have a reasonable client list um, and reasonable, let's call it, you know, three to five million dollars of revenue, at least um, at that phase, you kind of outgrew your OKRs to some extent. So it's fine to still have the quarterly objectives, but you really do need to be thinking about two years out. So what is your two years out strategy? What is the quarterly objective that's going to get you there? But there's a shift often in personnel, but a shift in mindset from executing on what I'm going to be doing this week, this month, you know, this quarter to really like, are the things that I will be delivering on 
able enabling me to grow in six months, a year, 18 months. So it's a, it's a different mindset. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, for sure. That longer term vision, we see that a lot in the product work that I do as well too, right? The roadmap is only what's in front of us, but you know, where are you going to be in 18 months? Where are you going to be in two Absolutely. years? That type of thing. That's a big part of it. Um, other things you mentioned as well too, is sometimes when you get engaged, uh, product market fit sounds like occasionally may also be off. Is that more of a, and maybe you see both, but I'm curious to hear more about your experience here. Do you get engaged where you see the product is lacking potentially significantly and needs major like engineering changes, or it just doesn't, it's a, as I referred to it before, it's a, it, um, they built a product uh, or they built a solution for a problem that doesn't exist. Curious if you see any of that and how you go about handling it as well as um, positioning as well too. If you see that they're just like, offering the product to the wrong market. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so I'll start <laughs> with that. Um, sure. So um, firms that sell bigger ticket items, okay? Um, so let's call it 250000 or more per yep. purchase, right? Between 250 and up to a couple million dollars. Um, what they tend to do is they have a core set of code Okay. Mm -hmm. And for their first five or six clients, and it's the right thing for them to be doing. So I'm not disagreeing with it. For their first five clients, they actually just take a copy of that code and they put it into a hosted environment. They call themselves SaaS and it's not, it's really just hosted solution. And what happens then is client A gives us really good feedback and we build it into client A's code, but Mm -hmm. we never bring it back to the core. Okay. So the transition from a multi, uh, I will call, I'll call it from a salesperson's perspective, maybe the right, not the right technology term from a mostly multi-hosted environment yeah. into how do I bring it back to the core such that each implementation is not so expensive and I'm learning from one another. Um, we call that tech debt very often. And that usually happens between client five and client seven. Um, that's a major problem that we have across the industry on the high ticket items. Um, other times I have definitely seen that, you know, the CEO was a practitioner doing a certain job, found a friend who was a technologist to address this operational issue that he or she may be having, okay, when they were doing the job. And they say, this is great. And they can't hear feedback, okay? Mm-hmm. They have such pride of ownership. And it's almost always one of the founders, but such pride of ownership that they think there's something wrong with every one of their prospective buyers because they're not seeing the value. Um, 50% of the time, there's really just not enough of value, okay? Like dollars and cents. You're, it's a good product, okay? And you're saving 20% of the time of somebody who makes $50,000 a year. It's just not that valuable, <laughs> okay? Right, right. You know what I mean? So, awesome. so sometimes it is along those times. Um, other times it is that you're selling to the wrong person. I think we talked briefly about that before. They sell to the CTO when the real buyer may be ops or compliance or others. Yep. You, great feedback. And I've uh, been there quite a bit myself as well, too. All of the combinations that you shared. Um, curious to learn more, too, about the positioning element as well. Do you Have you found instances where you've been engaged with a client and they have a product that it's just being offered kind of to the wrong industry or wrong market and has discovery yielded insight related to that, where, like you said, if you line things up slightly differently, they can find bigger, more expensive problems to solve with the product that they've built if they reposition it elsewhere. Um, 
I would say my consulting business top line focus, I have not run across anybody that I've done that major of a shift with. Gotcha. Um, and some of the relationships that I have in the industry, right? Not clients of mine, yeah. but people that I've worked with. Um, I have identified that a couple of times and certainly as an, as an employer, I have. Um, and a lot of that I do encourage, especially seed and pre-seed organizations where they are kind of throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks is you should be spending more than 20 hours a week talking to people. Okay. And, and listening. Okay. Say like, I I have this idea. Okay. And uh, actually a a friend of mine who has an AI solution, you know, and he was really utilizing the AI on accountants. And I was like, well, if we switch it from the accountants and bring it over to financial advisors, financial advisors make a lot more money. Okay. On the whole. Okay. Um, And they're also not as disparate as accountants are. Okay. So you can get, you could win one organization and get your you know, 100, 500 advisors all at once. Um, so we switched the model, same basic technology use, but we cool. switched the model to be more on that. Um, and literally the way he came up with this was he's chatting with me about his challenges in the accounting space. And I said, well, explain the product. How about this? You know, so I bring it to my area of expertise and wealth. Okay. And I'm sure he's bringing it to other people who say, oh my God, that's like a perfect fit for healthcare. You know what I mean? So it's really the network um, and being very conscious in the diversity of your network. Okay. Not, not meaning gender or race diversity, um, but really diversity of industries. Absolutely. And super well said. It's amazing that sometimes if you just line things up slightly differently, the problems in other industry, which may not know anything about the tech that's mm-hmm. disrupting one right next to it, how that can create some like real magic. I've seen that elsewhere before. So I was curious to, to know, and that was a great example of something like that. I, I will um, say one, I'll interject on one key discipline that I encourage people at any organization, okay, to always yeah. do is we all go to industry conferences. Um, whenever I go to an industry conference for about the last 22 years or so, I bring um, blank blank paper with me, okay, yeah. and it's my idea list. So, and the reason by that is because people will be talking potentially in my industry or other industries about problems that they're solving. And I'll be like, oh, that relates to my firm. And I can't have it embedded with any of my other notes. It has to be its own little slip of paper. Okay. (laughs) But I would say at almost any time that I will listen to, you know, speakers and innovation for like two days at a time, I'll come up with 10 like transformational ideas. And just by letting myself take a step back from the day-to-day challenges that I have and hearing how other people are addressing challenge opportunities. Great advice, Uh, especially the strategic element, having a plan, especially if you're going to go to an event like that as well too. Uh, Way to for sure maximize kind of the the time that you spend at something like that. So next question for you is going to be, what's the best advice you have for the firms out there that could benefit most from your advice? Right, in terms of you see all the time what they are spending time on, perhaps spinning their wheels with, and you know, because you've done this for quite some time, a lot of expertise here, what they really should be focusing on. So if you had to speak for all those firms now, what was what's the best advice you have for them? Oh, gosh, that's a, that's a loaded question. I'll try to boil it down. <laughs> um, everybody should know what their KPIs are. What are the, what is the reason that they have their job and how can they measure them? Okay. So 
is that user adoption, okay? Is that number of LinkedIn clicks if you're marketing, okay? Is it um, number of stories if you're running a tech pod, you know, that your velocity rates. Um, but everybody should know whether or not they're successful or not. Okay, I would say that that's a, that's a really key driver because when you're a very small organization, everybody's doing everything, okay? Yep. And you're, you need to be at the point to scale, okay? When you're at Series A, Series B, you need to be able to ensure that you have repeatable processes. Um, if you have something to measure, you'll find a way to repeat the processes to meet the metrics. It's just one of those just general things in life. Um, the other thing that I would say everybody should be doing is a win-loss analysis, Okay. And I didn't say a loss analysis. I said a win-loss analysis. <laughs> um, somebody that feels fairly unbiased in the organization it should not be the salesperson or the sales leader asking for this information. Um, you can literally take somebody who's two years in operations and give them the script to ask. Okay. Um, and find out what was the main reason that you bought this product? What is your expected value? Okay. What is the main reason you said no? Okay. And I have through win loss analysis um, analyses have identified sometimes we really have a problem salesperson. Okay. Mm -hmm. That they're not really good at rapport building and building respect. Okay. And building relationships. They're poor at that. Um, very often it's the value prop that was in the CEO's head did not get to the voice of the person who's actually doing prospecting. Mm -hmm. So they're talking about features and not about the value. And I would say probably about 70% of the time um, that I've done a win-loss analysis on the loss side was like, I just didn't get it. I didn't get like, what was the value to me? So I write a check for $50,000 or whatever it is, but like, what am I getting? Okay. Um, oh, it's so hard for a CEO to hear that information. So um so I would say you can have somebody two years out of school and operations asking these. You can have an independent consultant do it. Yep. Um, you do need to find the right person to be able yep. to formulate the data in a means that the CEO can hear and not have a knee-jerk reaction. I'm firing my salespeople. They're idiots, et cetera. It's, as a CEO, as a founder, it's your accountability. If they're not hearing what the message is, you have to help them hear it. You have to do a mock demo with them. Okay. You have yep. to like, do a value prop exercise. You know, it's value prop exercises are pretty easy. If you buy our service in lieu of blank, okay, mm -hmm. you will get XYZ and I can prove it because of these bullet points. If you can't, there's no value. Well said. Great advice. Uh, and thank you for being here, Linda. A couple of questions for you before we let you go. The first sure. is, are there any particular resources you wanted to call attention to or recommend where folks can go to learn more about anything we talked about here or any work that you've done? Oh, absolutely. Um, I would say my uh, my lifelong resource, okay, or, or at least the last 20 years or so, is a 2,000-year-old discipline called Ikigai, I-K-I-G-A-I. Um, and basically what it is is a Venn diagram with four circles. One of the circles is what do you love? Like what's really important to you? The next is what are you good at? What are your skills? The third is, what does the world need? We all want to be the change in the world. We all want to have like a purpose. Um, and the fourth one, which is the one I added about 20 years ago and I didn't have the first 15 years of my career is, what can you get paid for? Okay, so I find out that once a founder is able to really look at it and say, this is my company's ikigai, okay, 
I love this. My company and me are really skilled at this. This is going to have an impact on the world, financial literacy, financial wellness. Okay. And I can get paid for this feature because that's the feature that I can prove out as value. Okay. That is the best discipline for an individual, for a company, but know your ikiji and evaluate it regularly. Um, the second for anybody that's in the technology space and the startup space, without a doubt, is to read Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore. Okay. Awesome um, absolutely helps you with, uh, hey, I got those people that can believe my vision. How do I actually cross the chasm into the mass market? That is almost always where I work with clients. That's a series A, series B. Okay. How do we actually get to the market size and the penetration that we need? Um, and then also as it pertains to that, there's another good book out by an acquaintance of mine called Send Your Startup. Okay. By Helen Yu. I really recommend that. That has a lot of practical tools inside of it. Um, executive business reviews, KP, you know, OKRs, of course. Okay. Um, and different things that you could actually say, am I disciplined enough? Do I have the right level of process? These are some tools that you can use to cross that chasm. Excellent. Those are my tools. A ton of awesome resources. And we'll link to all of those in the show notes. Thank you for sharing each. Absolutely. Um, last question for you is uh, who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? Okay. Um, anybody in the fin the anybody that's in the fintech space in B2B, okay, typically firms that are, you know, around series B, okay, meaning that they 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 have about five million dollars in revenue, but they're looking to grow to 25 million in a very short period of time. Organizations tend to be about 20 to 70 people. Okay. So that's kind of the, the general space that I play in. Um, best way to reach out to me is on LinkedIn. Okay. So you can just do a search on Linda Wittick and we can give the link to that. Um, and of course you can also email me at Linda at toplinefocus.com. Fantastic. Thank you, Linda. We'll include that as well also. And thanks for being here and sharing your knowledge with our audience. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it, Sean. Thanks for listening to this episode of product launch. I hope you got value out of it. I like to feature product people on my podcast because that's who I love to help. I'm a product strategist and I can help you scale your business and grow your profit through a product. If you'd like to learn more about how I can help you, email me at sean at nextstep.io. That's sean, S-E-A-N, at nextstep, N-X-T-S-T-E-P.io. Or visit my website at nextstep.io. That's N-X-T-S-T-E-P.io. Hey folks, Sean here, and thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you did, I'd encourage you to also sign up for my free five-day email course about launching a profitable B2B SaaS application for less than $750. If you'd like to sign up for that course, you can do so at nextstep.io forward slash B2B SaaS.